We are actually going to be starting a brand new series uh, this morning. Um, the series is, is basically all about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the subtitle that we're going to be looking at basically is understanding what Jesus wants his followers to be and to do. Um, this is one of those, um, this is going to be an introductory uh, message this morning, and, and we're going to kind of look at some of the things, some themes, and some other things that as we get into this that we're going to be looking at. But this is probably, if not the most important, it is definitely the most known sermon that has ever been spoken. Uh, this is kind of Jesus' manifesto. This is kind of Jesus coming in and beginning to share about who he is and what he wants us to do. I think one of the things that we deal with as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is what does that really look like? I grew up in the church. I went to Sunday school. I, I did all the stuff that you do as, as you grow up in church. And, and really, the question still sometimes comes to my mind, what does a Christian really look like? How do they act? How do they respond to different situations? Well, Jesus, in these couple of chapters, kind of brings it all home and helps us to see some of those things. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at that. Basically, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 1, and then it goes through seven twenty nine. So if you have some time, and hopefully you do every day, spend some time with the Lord in, in prayer and reading the Bible. Look at this. Begin to study this. We're going to kind of take it in chunks, kind of like we did last summer with James. Uh, and we're going to break it up and kind of look at some specific things. But I think there's some very, very, very important things in this message uh, that Jesus gives that are going to help us as individuals, as a community, moving forward. Okay? And so I'm very excited about it. I, I enjoy, I, it may bore you, but I really enjoy when we can kind of slow down a little bit and take some of these portions of scripture together slowly and kind of break them down. Um, and so for the next several weeks, this is going to be more of a teaching time. It's going to be more of an opportunity for us to look at some of these things that Jesus spoke and, and really understand them and, and understand them more. So first, let's go ahead. We're, we're going to look at some background, okay? And if you don't have some notes, this would be the day to have the notes, okay? Um, normally, my notes are very, um, they're not as detailed as you're going to get, especially on an intro message. Um, and so please hold on to this. Obviously, poor Linda, I gave her these notes and I thought, I thought they weren't that big, you know. And she came to me, she's like, well, I barely got them all to fit, you know. So this is the note. Hold on to those and things like that. But first, we're going to look at it, some background, okay. Some background of this. And basically, like I said, they're on your notes here. This takes place in the early part of Jesus's ministry. Now, this is kind of where we get into a little bit of debate. And so we're going to talk about it very, very briefly. Matthew records this. And basically, there's some people that think this was one setting, that Jesus did this in one setting. Other people believe that Jesus did this over a, a, a multitude of times and um, multitude of uh, opportunities or occasions. And then Matthew kind of brought them together and wrote them all into one particular uh, message that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Obviously, we don't know for sure, and, and you can have your feelings on way either way. But basically, it does begin very early in the ministry of Jesus. Now, to give you kind of a timeline, especially on Matthew's timeline, Jesus uh, has, has basically been baptized. He's been tempted by the enemy, and he's begun his ministry. So he's begun to do some of those things. But this does take place very early in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, 
of Jesus. It is also recorded in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 6, 17 through 49, but it's much shorter, okay? So it is recorded in another Gospel, uh, but it's not recorded uh, in all the Gospels, and Luke seems to leave some things out, uh, and he puts uh, emphasis on other things, but it is recorded in Luke. So if you're interested in kind of looking at those things, you can do that. It's in Luke 17, 49. Next, great crowds are following him at this time because of his teaching and his healing of the sick. We see that in Matthew 4, 23 through 25. So Jesus here hasn't just kind of burst on the scene and and basically just showed up and said, okay, now I'm going to teach. He's basically gone through the area and he's beginning to heal people. He's beginning to teach people. He's beginning to have crowds follow him. It says that in Matthew there, that basically are bringing people to him so that he can heal them. And so Jesus here is becoming a little bit well-known. He's becoming a little bit understood a little bit, but he's at this point hasn't done any great teaching. He's basically just healing the sick and he's kind of doing all those sort of things, okay? Now let's talk a little bit about who was there, okay? Although not just his disciples were present, Jesus directs these words to his disciples. Okay, this is very important that we understand this. Jesus is communicating these things to his disciples, meaning his followers, meaning hopefully everyone that's here, okay? So we have to know who the audience is, Okay, so Jesus here is talking to those individuals. Now, this is not a situation where Jesus runs off and hides and only gets the 12 that we consider to be disciples and talks to them, but he does get away from the majority of the crowd. Okay, so this is who he's talking to. He's basically talking to you and to me, and he's also talking to those that follow him. Okay, one of the issues that people have had over the centuries is they've looked at this and they basically said, well, well, what about this or what I can't do this or what I and and really there's we're going to talk about this later on in the message. But there's a reason for that. There's a reason why these things are so difficult when we look at them and, and understanding that. So his disciples were present, which we consider to be the 12, but there were other people there as well. Next, and this is interesting because we've actually, I've actually dealt with this question recently quite a bit. It says Jesus didn't preach it on top of a mountain. Okay. Uh, Basically, he preached it uh, from halfway down the mountain with his hearers above him in a natural amphitheater. Now, how many of you have been to, to Red Rocks? Okay. That beautiful thing. I, I've never actually been to a concert there because um, I, I want to make sure I can save for, for retirement. But I know that people go there for, uh, for concerts, and I have been there and seen it, and it's beautiful. And obviously, it's a natural amphitheater. And when you think about how it works, think about it. You're sitting there, and you're sitting... Well, the, the performers are below you, okay? And the rocks come up, and so basically, they can speak, and it goes up like that. Basically, uh, and there are some places... I, um, I didn't put pictures up because there is some debate on exactly where, and obviously, we don't know exactly where... But basically, there were some pictures that basically Jesus walked up this kind of, kind of mountainside or this hill, and that he actually spoke on a flatter area or like a plateau, and his hearers were actually up the cliffside, okay? So if you can imagine this, basically imagine we're kind of walking up here, and if Jesus was teaching us, we would basically rotate everybody, and you guys would, we, me too, we would all be up here in this area, and Jesus would be talking to us this way. Okay, because one of the questions I've, I've had quite recently is, well, when Jesus taught, how did people hear him? You know, and we've kind of got to this like, and, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but, you know, we've talked about, oh, maybe there was a supernatural thing where, where God just made sure everybody heard. And maybe he did. 
But there's also understanding that this type of teaching went on for centuries. So they knew areas where these things could be talked and natural amphitheater happening. So basically, I like to picture things. So for those of you that like to picture things in your mind, that's the picture I want to give you of Jesus kind of here. And he's actually seated. And uh, the Bible says he sits down and his disciples kind of gather around him. But they're kind of up the mountainside. Okay, And so Jesus here kind of sits down and he begins to actually uh, talk and share these things. Next, it tells us what Jesus wants his followers to be and to do. Obviously, this is where we get our, our subtitle for the series. Jesus here is going to lay out what it means to be a follower of him, what it looks like, how we act, how we respond, what we do, uh, and, and those sort of things. And this is obviously pretty important. Okay, I can tell you I want you to be this way or your wife or your husband can say I want you to be this way or your your boss or whatever. This is Jesus speaking to us as individuals saying, listen, this is what it means to be a follower of me. This is what your life should look like. This is what your life should be like. This is this is what it should be. He's giving us a model of what this is. And finally, I, I think this is important. It's probably the most quoted and known portion of the Bible other than possibly the Ten Commandments. There are so many people that know stuff that are in this section of Scripture that have no idea that they're actually quoting the Bible. They have no idea the wisdom that is encompassed in these passages of Scripture. Listen, I don't know. I mean, I've looked at different people that I've thought have been wise, that are, that, are, that are different types of individuals. I don't think I have ever, in a portion of written material, seen more wisdom and more divine instruction than this. This is unbelievable. Listen, whether you believe in, I've said this, whether you believe in Jesus or not, if we can live like this, if everybody could, the world would be transformed. Problem is, it's very hard to do it without Jesus. And we're going to talk about that in a second. So it's quoted a lot. People talk about it a lot. And this is something that, that I think we need to understand. The Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known part of the teaching of Jesus. Though arguably, it is the least understood and certainly it is the least obeyed. We know this. We don't follow it. I know this. I don't follow it. And so we need to understand what Jesus is saying. Because I also think that one of the reasons we have a hard time obeying it is because we really don't understand what Jesus is saying. We don't understand what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. And if we can understand that better, we'll have a better chance of actually obeying it. So let's, let's look at this, do this. Let's look at this, uh, the themes of the sermon. Let's look at the themes that Jesus is trying to get across. Now, I narrowed it down to two because I'm crazy. And because I wanted to make sure that we all had lunch today and not dinner. Okay? So there are more than these. But these are what I wanted to bring it down to. And the first one is this. Jesus is calling his disciples to be different. Look at Matthew 6, 8a. This is obviously a part of it and, and a very short amount. And this is where Jesus is talking about prayer. But he says, don't be like them. Okay? If there was a little itty bitty scripture that we could look at as being basically the theme of the entire section, it would be this. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. Jesus has called us to be different. He's called us to look different. Now, I'm not talking about physical, but I'm talking about how we respond to situations and how we see the world and how we see different things. One of the things that I always think about, and maybe this is morbid, please excuse me, but I always think about how we should be different in how we deal with death. 
We have a hope. We have a hope that says when that person is lowered in the ground, that they're not there, they are with our Father. That is a hope that we have that is so beautiful. We had a conversation just with Easton just yesterday, and we were having a, a conversation, and we talked about a funeral. And Easton said, well, what's a funeral? I love, I, I don't know if you, 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 if you have younger children or grandchildren, one of, the, one of the greatest things about kids, among many great things, is the ability to hear those questions. I love the questions kids come up with. And so you just look at me, what's a funeral? And, and how, do you, how do you answer that to a five-year-old? I mean, how do you, you know, you're, you're trying to get into a, you know, it, it's tough. You're like, you want to get into the theological aspect, but you don't want to just totally overwhelm him, and you don't want to be, like, weird about it. And, and so I'm just trying to sit there, and I said, well, well a funeral is, is, a, is a special thing, and, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's something where you remember someone's life. And I said, you know what? I looked at him, I said, in some ways, it's, it's kind of like a sad party. A sad celebration. He kind of looked at me with that look like, why is my dad so weird? And, and, and I said, it, it, it's, we, we're, the person isn't there. They're with Jesus. And he kind of was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I can kind of figure that out. And I remember we were, we, I left and I kind of walked away. And I, I remember even thinking, because I had been thinking about the message and things like that. And I remember thinking, you know, that's different for us as Christians. Because for others that don't have that hope, Funerals aren't those things. But Jesus has called us to be different. He's called us to be different. And this is a calling that really has begun a long time ago. Let's look at Leviticus 18. In Leviticus 18, 1 through 5, this is basically the children of Israel. They've been obviously gotten out of Egypt. And basically God is speaking to them. And it says this. He says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. I am the Lord your God. So do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live or like the people of Canaan where I am taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. You must obey all of my regulations and be careful to obey my decrees for I am the Lord your God. If you obey my decrees and my regulations, you will find life through them. I am the Lord. This is a theme that really has gone throughout scripture. This idea that God is calling his people out of from among the others and to make them holy and separate. Now notice I didn't say better. Okay, that's one of the things that we've dealt with as Christians and things like that. Being called about and being separate is not saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, I'm awesome, and you are not. It's understanding, though, that we should be different than the world that we inhabit. We should be different than that. And so God here is calling them and saying, listen, you need to be different than the people in Egypt, and you need to be different than the land you're coming to. And what's interesting is if you look at the history of Israel, what has been their problem? Why do they always get the problems come is when they try to act like those around them, when they forget that they should be different, that they shouldn't look the same. We see one of these in 1 Samuel, which is very interesting. In 1 Samuel 8, 5, it says this, look, they told them, They're speaking now to Samuel. This is the children of Israel. Uh, This is obviously several years, years later on from Leviticus. And he says, you are old now and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. And then we jump to 19, but the people refuse to listen. Samuel basically says, hey, listen, if you do this, these are bad things that are going to happen. So we're going to jump now to 19. But the people refuse to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, we still want a king, they said. We want to be like the nations around us. 
our king will judge us and lead us into battle. You see, the thing is, the problem that we're finding, at least as I'm looking at the church and as us Christians and as the culture, we have stopped being a separate nation and we have gotten to this place where we're kind of like Israel. We're like, hey, we just want to be like everybody else. We want to look like everybody else. We want to act like everybody else. We want to do that. And usually what we've done is we've convinced ourselves that that makes us culturally relevant. Okay? Here's the thing I think we need to understand as a body of believers. We can be culturally relevant and be Christian different. We can understand the world we live in and the things that we deal with and we face. But when we become like those that we're trying to show a difference to, that's a problem. And so what we have here is Israel did that. They said, we want a king. What was their reason why? Check it out. It's like we're five. Because everybody else has one. Why do you want that toy? Because everybody else has that toy. Do you like that toy? No, but, but Bobby has that toy. And Joe has that toy. And Sally has that toy. So I want that toy too. They don't give a good reason. You see, at this point, they never had a king. They had judges and prophets that were leading them because God was their king. Why do they want one? Everybody else has one. I want one too. Okay? This is a problem that we see throughout Scripture. And so here Jesus is, and he's going, listen, you should be different. So let's look at, in this message, what Jesus wants us to be different from. First, he wants us to be different from the nominal church. Okay? The nominal church. What I mean by that is a church that is existing in name only. Okay? Or Christians that are existing in name only. And let's look at this. In Revelation 3, 1b, it says this. I know all the things you do. It's, it's, it's Jesus speaking to some churches. And that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Here's what's interesting about this whole message. And if you, if you have read it, and hopefully most of you have, and if you've studied it, Jesus doesn't just talk about the, we're going to talk about this in a second. Jesus spends a lot of time saying, listen, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the religious people of the day. He's very clear on this. Okay. He's very clear that, listen, there, there, is, there is people that, that are just Christian by name only. They, they put that label on themselves, and they don't really act out the way that they should. There's, there's not fruit with their lives, which is so important here, which is so important. And Jesus says, listen, don't be like them. Don't act like them. Don't live your life like them. There's portions where he says, you know that they say this. Don't do that. Don't be like them. This was revolutionary because these were the guys that the world looked at and the Jews looked at as, hey man, these guys got it all together. And here's this, here's this bumpkin from Nazareth saying, hey, listen, don't be like them. We need to be very careful of who we look like and how we act. And so Jesus starts there. And then he also talks about the secular world. He talks about the secular world. Look at Ephesians 4, 17. It says this, With the Lord's authority, I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives them. They have, uh, God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and enduring and enduring practice every kind, eagerly practice every kind of iniquity. But it, that isn't what you've learned about Christ. 
Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Listen. We're going to talk about this in the coming weeks. Jesus talks about us being salt and light, which are opposite of darkness and, and other... You know. so, so, so here, what Jesus is trying to get us to say is, listen, your life should be different. Now, I hope this is the case. Hear me. I hope you have people in your life that don't know Jesus from a kumquat, okay? Like, they know who he is, but they don't know him at all, okay? And I hope and I pray when they look at their lives and they look at your lives, they go, wow, there is a stark difference between the way this individual lives and the way I live. The way they see the world and the way I see the world. The way they deal with problems uh, or good situations or bad situations and the way I do. Listen, this is a really simple concept, but it's one I think that we've missed as the church. Okay? We, if we're offering the same thing that people in the world have, why, oh, why would they embrace what we're giving them? Seriously, why? I mean, we already, let's be honest, as, as the church, because of, of actions that we have taken as the body of Christ uh, and because of some of our mistakes that we've made, we already kind of have a bad rap. You know, so we're already in, in a bad place. And if we're offering them the same thing, why would they take it? Why would they want it? Why would they desire it? Jesus is saying, listen, you need to be different. You need to look differently and act differently and be differently than other people. Again, not better. Okay, we don't walk around with a sense of spiritual superiority of pride and all those things. Because that's what the Pharisees were doing. But an understanding that we see things differently, not because we're so much smarter or we're so much more spiritual, but because we've understood these things because Christ has revealed them to us. We don't live this way anymore, not because we've attained perfection, but because Christ is working in us to change us from the inside out. And so he's understood that. He wants us to get that. So that's the first idea, that Jesus wants us to be different. Who knows? Next, another main theme we're looking at here is Jesus is presenting a Christian counterculture. Okay, he's presenting a Christian counterculture. Now, you know, it's interesting. We were we were at this um, our community group last night, and 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 I'm not gonna I'm, I'm gonna share something real briefly. Julie uh, was there. She's in that group, and she was talking about being a child of the '70s. And, and my parents grew up in the, about that time as well, and, and, and I like to study history, and so I've looked at, you know, that, the, the baby boomer generation and how they saw things, and, and, and really one of the things that they really focused in on a lot was, was making this counterculture thing, and I, we were going to uh, grab a hold of the things that, that basically maybe our parents wanted us to do and, and wanted us to be, and, and so they, they kind of wanted to do these things and, um, that, are, that were different, and here what's interesting is Jesus is kind of doing the same thing. He's coming in. And he's going, listen, I want to bring a new understanding of how to live. 
I want you to understand, I'm bringing not just, not just being different, but a new culture of things. Listen, we have these things out on the wall. What do we call them? That's our culture. That's our mission. That's who we are. I didn't pick that word on accident. It's because we want to change who we are. We want to change the culture of our community. And Jesus is wanting to do the same here. He's wanting to say, I want you to understand this a little differently. He says this in a very interesting way. Look in Matthew 5.27a. Now, obviously, he talks much greater. We're going to look at those things later on on, not today, but later on, but he basically says this, you have heard. So there's these sections where he says things like that. You have heard, you have heard. And then he says, blah, 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 blah. Okay. But then later on in verse 28, it says, but I say, so in the, in this understanding, Jesus is saying, listen, you've heard this, you've understood this, that this is blah, 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 blah. And I don't want to get into it because that'll take too much time. But he says that, and he says, but I say this. You know, I have people come to me all the time. I talk to people uh, all the time. And I hear a lot of this type of thinking. But I say this. But I think this. And, and, and one of the things that we always want to do as people that God wants us to do is not just look at it and say, this is how Aaron feels. But how does God feel about this? How does Jesus feel about this topic? You may have heard that this was the right response. But how does Jesus see it? How does he respond to it? And so Jesus here is bringing out a brand new culture. He's trying to help us to see this and understand this. And we're going to go through these fairly quickly. And we're going to get much, much, much more in depth over the next several weeks. But I wanted you to see these so you kind of know what we're looking at. It says, in this Christian counterculture, he shows us several things. One, a Christian's value system. What should be important to us? How should we live our lives? Next, Christian ethical standard. It's one of the things that we dealt with in our world today is where's the line? Where's the standard? What do we know? What's right? What's wrong? Where's the standard? Jesus here throughout this says, here's the line. I love that because I know now where to go. I know where God wants me to be and what he wants me to be and do and things like that. So there's a standard. Next, a Christian's religious devotion. Does this matter? Does this time matter? Does, does, does how we follow God matter? Do, should we spend time with him? Should we not? What does that look like? Next, a Christian's attitude to money. Okay? Uh-oh. Here we go. Okay, listen. Hear me on this. When it comes to money, Jesus did this a lot. He talked a lot about money. Why? Because money is normally a very good indication of where your treasures are. Okay. Jesus doesn't hate money. Jesus doesn't despise people that are rich or poor. He uses it as an example so that we can look at our hearts and know where we stand. So he talks about our attitude when it comes to money. Next is Christian's ambitions. What, what should we be striving for? Next, a Christian's lifestyle. How does that look? What, how, how should I live my life? Next. A Christian's network of relationships. Not only what should my relationship look like uh, as in dealing with myself, but with you guys, with my friends, with people that don't know who Jesus is. Now, if you've looked at all of these things, if you've studied this, okay, there becomes a very, very clear problem, okay? And that is, is I can get through about 20 seconds... And on, that's on a good day of reading the Sermon on the Mount and feeling like I'm doing a good job. This is hard. 
And so one of the things that we've dealt with and people have dealt with over the centuries is quite simply this. Is this even attainable? Are these standards that Jesus is giving us pie in the sky by and by? Well, we'll we'll deal with this later on. Or are these things that Jesus wants us to understand for today? Because here's the thing. If we can say these are not for today, I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to focus on it. I don't have to do that. And these things are hard. So here's the thing. Can we meet these standards considering a couple of things? Number one, our self-assertive egotism. How can we be meek? I mean, you think about yourself. What, what is this world all about? What are we usually all about? Me. Mine. And here's Jesus saying, oh, no, 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 no. No, you, you need to be the opposite of that. In our world, Jesus is saying, yeah, you got to be meek. you got to be humble. Next, our sexual passions. How can we re- refrain from lustful looks and thoughts? I mean, Jesus here in this is not just talking about the actual act of things. He's talking about looks. And if you think things in your heart, are you kidding me? How? how? Really? I'm supposed to do what? Are you? I don't know if I can. You know, as you begin to look at these things, I'm going, how can I do these things? How are we going to be able to do this? Next, our absorption in the cares of the world. How can we not worry? Okay, don't raise your hand, but just be honest with yourself. How many worry warts are out in the crowd? You ever heard that term, worry warts? Okay, I I love, 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 love my grandmother. And the only reason I'm saying this is because she's uh, almost 88 years old and she's not going to listen to the podcast, okay? And I love her dearly, but you know what? My grandmother's a worry wart. She loves Jesus on her way to see, I mean... But she's a worrier. I have to fight that. I remember being a kid, and I grew up in the, the, the Midwest, in Kansas City, where, you know, it was 98 degrees outside and 100% humidity, okay? And I wanted to be outside playing because that's just what I... And I remember Grandma being at the door, and she'd go, she'd go, Hun, love my Grandma, Hun, you sure you, sure you don't want to come inside? I just, I'll never get this. It's so hot. No, Grandma, I'm good. You know, I'm sure Grandma was convinced I was going to fall over from heat exhaustion at any moment, you know. But she was a worrier. Are you a worrier? I mean, doesn't that make sense? All the cares of the world, all the stuff. I mean, you begin to look at all the things we deal with, all the stuff that we're, we're, we're fighting and, and focusing on. How can we not worry? Next, our, our proneness to anger and desire for revenge. How can we be expected to love our enemies? Oh, no, 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 that's not how this works, Aaron. You see, what we do is the people that get us, we try to figure out the best way to get them. We all have diabolical laughs somewhere. And so somebody got me, oh, I'm going to get you. I mean, we all are that way. I mean, seriously, let's be honest. Something happens to us negatively. Somebody does something to us. How often do we go, well, let me see, how can I turn the other cheek how can i respond in love and kindness to them i don't do that my thought is how can i get them how can i make them pay for what they did to me i don't know maybe you're not like me but that's something i deal with how can we be expected jesus says here listen if somebody slaps you across the face turn and give them the other cheek are you kidding me Jesus, are you serious? 
How are we supposed to do this? Because here's the thing. A lot of times we'll look at it and go, I can't do it. And we give up. We look at these types of situations when Jesus commands us to do these things. And he says, listen, this is what I want you to be. This is what I want you to do. And we look at it and go, and look, I could have named a lot more. And we go, how? How can we do this? I found this quote from John Stott that is very interesting. And I thought it was something that we could look at and, and see. It says this. It's a little longer, but it's in your notes. It says, for the standards of the sermon are neither readily attainable by every man, nor totally unattainable by any man. To put them beyond anyone's reach is to ignore the purpose of Christ's sermon. To put them within everyone is to ignore the reality of man's sin. They are attainable, all right, but only by those who have experienced the new birth which Jesus told Nicodemus was the indispensable condition of seeing and entering God's kingdom. Look at John 3, 3. This is one of the passages of of Jesus and Nicodemus talking. And Jesus says this, listen, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old self is gone. A new life has begun. Look, you know me. If you don't, you're getting to know me better every week. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to put it out there. Listen, if you think in your own strength, in your own wisdom, in your own ability, you will be able to accomplish a fourth of what is written in the Sermon on the Mount, you are certifiably crazy. I'm sorry. I mean, you begin to look at these things and you begin to look at your life and just be honest with yourself. Okay, there is no way. There's no way we can do these things. We are not, because of our fallen nature, because of our sin, we, we are so broken that these things are almost like, like somebody coming and speaking in Chinese to us. It's just like how. These things happen because of what Christ does in us. Remember, and this is something we talked about earlier, who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to his followers. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to those that he knows they can't do it on their own. But what he is saying is, listen, you become new. You become a new person. You become those things, and I will help you to accomplish these things. Now, I want you to stop and I want you to think. Now, obviously, maybe you read, you know, obviously you got your email. You knew what we were moving into. You were here last week and I told you, hey, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe this week at some point you read through it. But there's a possibility that many of us haven't for maybe a little while. And that's fine. But as you begin to read it, as you begin to look at it, as we begin to study this, you're going to need to learn something and understand something. This is unbelievably difficult. This will only be accomplished because of what Jesus is going to do in you and through you. Okay? Now, you can fight that and try to do it on your own and get angry, bitter, and frustrated. You can. That's that's totally your call. But listen, this this is one of those moments where we understand that we go to our Jesus and we say, Jesus, I know this is the standard. I know this is how you want me to act. I also know, thank the Lord, that you know I'm not always going to meet up with this standard. But Jesus, I need your help because I want to be like this. As you look at this, I want as you read it this week, as you look at these, I want you to daydream just a little bit with me and imagine what your life 
would be like if you always responded the way Jesus asked us to? Can you imagine if your, your husband or your wife or your kids or your boss or your responded like this? Can you imagine what the world's going to be like? Well, here, here, here's, here's the spoiler alert, okay? For all of you that don't like spoilers, you can, you can put your fingers in your ears, okay? This is going to be, this is going to be, when Jesus comes and restores everything, what you read is what life is going to be, and it's going to be absolutely glorious. But Jesus didn't call us to wait until he restores. He says that we are to go out and we are to start the restoring process right now. Okay? Our job isn't to sit back and go, okay, God, fix it. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done. We are bringing forth the kingdom. Jesus in this is proclaiming the beginning. He's saying, all right, here's what it looks like. Hey, this is what it should be. Hey, this is what it will be one day when everything's put together and where it needs to be. And what's awesome is we can begin it today. Can you imagine? Just stop. Think about this. Can you imagine if you and your husband and your wife sat down and said, listen, I know we haven't always been perfect. I know we're not always going to be perfect. But listen, let's try our hardest to live our lives with these precepts. Let's follow this standard. Can you imagine how it would transform your marriage? Can you imagine if you looked at your kids and your kids looked at you and said, listen, this is how we're going to respond to these things. This is how we're going to live our lives. I just, I just sit there and I go, well, let me be honest. I, I say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But I also say, I want that for me. I want that for those that I love. I want to respond to these things. And the only way that that happens is by Jesus. The only way that happens is by Jesus. And here's the thing. We need to understand this. If the worship team wants to come back up and we're going to close. This is a journey that we're on, Okay. Okay, this is a journey because here's what happens a lot of times when we start talking about the standards that Jesus has set. The enemy comes and he starts bringing guilt and shame and nonsense. And then he says things like this. He says, you're not good enough. You can't do this. We just, oh my goodness, we just finished a whole month on what if I fail. Okay, now for all of you that think that this just happens magically and there isn't a plan, there's a plan. There's a reason why we did the failure stuff before we got into the stuff that you are probably going to be failing at. Because when we fail, we can remember the things that we learned. When we don't meet the standard that is so impossibly high at times, we can say, it's okay, I failed, but, but I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep going. Listen, don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to the lies when he comes and he says, listen, you can't do this. You're going to, you know, I, 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 the, the attitude I've heard so many times from so many people in our present day is, is I'm going to fail anyway. Why even try? Listen, you are going to fail. We're still on that journey. But listen, the goal here is to keep moving towards Jesus. The idea here is to bring his kingdom here step by step, sometimes maybe inch by inch, and to change. Can I be honest with you real quick? Not that I hopefully haven't been. But Emily and I I were driving home last night from our our community group, and it wasn't just the community group. It's it's been a kind of a theme that we've talked about for um, several months now, actually. And, and, and I, I come from a belief that, and maybe you've heard this saying, maybe you haven't, where, you know, any duck that won't quack for his own pond, 
doesn't deserve to swim in it. Okay? And I've been here about a year and a half. Came October 15th, 2017. And I walked into this place and just, you know, eyes as big as saucers going, <laughs> well, you know, kind of giggling to myself going, these people have no idea what they just did, you know. You know, because I knew me, you know. And beginning to pray and beginning to say, God, what, what do you want from this place? What do you want from us? What, what needs to happen here? And, and trying to hear God's voice. And, and the words just kind of kept coming back about helping people discover and grow. Discover and grow. Discover and grow. Grow and discover. How does... And, and I, I just couldn't get those words out of my head. And what's interesting is, is years before I even knew Broomfield existed, God was placing those things in my heart. And so that's what we focus in on here. We, we want us to discover who Jesus is. We want people that don't know who Jesus is to discover him for the first time. We want those that, that maybe have known Jesus but need to rediscover him to do that. And we want those that have discovered him to grow in him, to know him. And please understand, this is not me tooting my own horn or patting myself on the back because that's not what this is. But I just need to know something. I am so proud of you. I have seen so many of you grow in just amazing ways. I'm so proud of you. I don't say that because I'm, I say that because I mean that. I'm so proud of you. I could sit every single one of you down and put you in my office and embarrass the tar out of you and tell you, I've seen growth here and I've seen growth here and I've seen, and it has just been such an unbelievable thing. And this is just another step in that, guys. This is just another part of our growth as individuals and as a family to learn these things and to see these things. Remember, these are things that we sometimes don't always truly understand. I'm so proud of you. Emily and I sit there and we just, we, we just gloat. <laughs> Not because we're like, oh, well, you know. Uh, yeah. No, I, I go, have you, did you see how this person responded to this? Did you see how they, did you, did you hear what so-and-so said at that community group? Wow. And we're just so excited about over the next couple of months, that growth. So, so no matter where you are on your journey, no matter where you're at, no matter how many times you may sit there and go, I don't know if I'm really growing. Listen, I'm looking at you from farther away. I can see a bigger picture. You are. And I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited about what God's doing in your heart. And this is just another example. So look, I know it's going to be hard. I know over the next couple of months, you're going to look at me with these eyes that go, are you kidding me? And I'm going to go, yeah. I'm not. But with Jesus, we can do it. With his help, we can become exactly who he wants us to be and do exactly what he wants us to do. But we've got to start with him. And so this morning, what we're going to do is I'm just going to pray with you and over you, okay? Because I truly believe that this needs to start with an understanding that we need him. 
in all areas of our life, but especially this one, okay? And so we're going to start and hold on to that, knowing that, that as we begin this journey together, as we begin to dive in, that without Christ, we got nothing. But with him, all things are possible. And so, Jesus, we come to you right now. And God, as we get ready to, to over the next several weeks, really dive into this sermon, as we really begin to look at the things that Jesus wants us to be like and, and what he wants us to do, Father, we understand that in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own ability, we will fail. We're not going to be able to do it. The only way we can do this is first and foremost that we have given ourselves to you. We have become that new creation. We have become new. And Father, we also understand that, that we are in a process here of sanctification. That Jesus, you didn't snap your fingers when we accepted you and make us perfect made us without sin. We're still dealing with things. We're still, you're still fixing areas and dealing with things. And, and Jesus, one of the main reasons you taught this wasn't so that we could look at it and go, oh boy, one day, wouldn't that be great? No, so that we could start to experience eternity today, right now, and begin to bring your kingdom to this place. And so Jesus, we look to you because we cannot do it on our own. We acknowledge it from the very beginning. From the, from the intro message, we acknowledge we can't do this. But at the same time, Jesus, we claim to the promise that says with you and your strength, we can do it. We may not be perfect. We may not fail. We'll, we'll probably fail. But Father, with your help, we will go on this journey and we will become more like you desire us to be. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to do that in every way, every shape and every form. 